Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you tuned in. You don't have to be born a Jew to be made right with God. You have to be born again to be made right with God. Have you ever had a good whinge at God and pointed your finger at him? A bit of a that's not fair kind of moment? Well, you're not alone. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah had a bit of a pity party and let God know what he really thought. Tonight, let's go back and see how God and Jeremiah are getting along. I've broken the book of Jeremiah into six sections. The first section was his call, which went from chapter 1 to 11. And then the next section, which has gone from chapter 12 to 28, has been Jeremiah's complaint, where we've seen that Jeremiah had started off with some, I, I, I think, some pretty reasonable complaints about his end of the deal. And Jeremiah is called to um, tear down, to destroy, and to uproot. And then he's called to do the opposite of that, to plant, to build. And so in that section, we then come to this. And so you see here in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? And this is a question that righteous people asked God throughout the Bible. Most why questions, when they deal with why God does something, that's called a motive question. And very rarely will you ever get a satisfactory answer. So hopefully when we come through this section, as we've now established the foundation for what Jeremiah is doing, why did I get the raw end of the deal? Why are these people who are not doing your will succeeding, flourishing and prospering? God, I don't get it. It's not fair and I'm a little bit sick of it. And so this is Jeremiah's complaint, and there's that verse. And so the interesting thing is that God just kind of gets Jeremiah going again, tells him to prophesy halfway through this chapter, prophesy about the sword of the Lord. So from verse 7 down to 13, he, he gets Jeremiah going again. And this is going to be a point I'm going to make. He says, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Jeremiah 12, 7. And we ask the question, here's Jeremiah saying, you know, I'm complaining to you, God. And God says, you finished? Done? All right, come on, let's get going again. Okay, so the last section of chapter 12, we saw God gets Jeremiah to prophesy not just about Jerusalem, but about surrounding nations. God's not just the God of Israel. God's the God of Egypt. He's the God of Syria. He's the God of Australia. God is God. And when Jeremiah is talking about God's discipline on the nations and God's discipline on Israel, it would be very easy to think that God's discipline meant he was abandoning. But Romans chapter 1, if you read Romans chapter 1, it's actually the other way around. And if you read Hebrews chapter 12, it says, whom God loves, he disciplines. It's when God's not disciplining you that you should fall to your knees and cry out to God for mercy and ask him, God, have I done something so atrocious that you're no longer disciplining me? Because God's discipline should not be interpreted as his abandonment. 
And some people do. Why has God abandoned me? Because he's disciplining me. He's causing my life to go through so much pressure. And again, in Jeremiah 12, we read this profound statement. After I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. So this is the point of discipline. You see, there is a statement that God will one day restore, and he did. So God was disciplining Israel, but he was restoring them. So what does this tell us about God's discipline? Well, in the book of Jeremiah, we see this. God's discipline is always, I love this word, redemptive. That is, God makes good out of mess. God makes good out of my mistakes. God makes good out of disasters. God makes good out of evil done to me. God is always redemptive. We then see in Jeremiah 13, if you're tracking here in your Bible, we called this message based on the first verse, which says, Thus says the Lord to me, go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. This message was called the prophet's soiled undies and we see in that verse that he's told to go and buy a loincloth which was essentially underwear we then go down in this chapter and we see that i went to the euphrates and dug i took the loincloth from the place where i had hidden it and behold the loincloth was spoiled and good for nothing and so that loincloth it's like the loincloth speaks, it covers that which is intimate on, on the body. And here God is saying, you and I were supposed to be intimate. Our relationship was supposed to be clean and pure. But you have defiled me. You have gone after idols. You have ignored my word. You have committed immorality. And your sexuality was meant to be an expression of who I am, the fruitful covenant, faithful keeping God. That's why sexuality only belongs to one other person, because that's what faithfulness is. And that's why sexuality is not meant to be something that is, that is just treated as cheap. And God says it's as if you've taken this loincloth and you've just soiled it. That's how I feel. And we catch something of the heart that, that God has for his people. And this is where we read in Jeremiah that, that our God wants intimacy with his people. We see Jeremiah in chapter 13 castigating those people who were supposed to be responsible for the oversight, the spiritual welfare of God's people. These were the prophets and the priests. And he says that they were drunk on duty. They were drunk they were not being responsible. We read in this chapter, Then you shall say to them, This, or thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of the land, the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So because the leaders had become irresponsible, as if they were drunk, God's people eventually became irresponsible. Like leader, like people. We go on in this chapter and we see Jeremiah asks the question, can a leopard change its spots? Can a leopard change its spots? In other words, it gets to a point where some people are so ingrained in their sin and evil and wickedness, they own it so closely that they refuse to give it up. Can a leopard change its spots? It becomes a part of their identity. Well, 
the prophet Jeremiah called the people back. He called them to repent. He called them not to forget God. In verse 25 of chapter 13, he says this. This is, this is your lot. The portion I've measured out to you declares the Lord because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. This expression trusted in lies occurs several times throughout Jeremiah. But what a sad expression, forgotten me. The psalmist, I think in is it Psalm 50, verse 12-ish or so, it says one of the chief sins anyone can commit is to forget God. Just to forget God. Jesus healed 10 lepers. One came back and thanked him. And Jesus' question was, where's the other nine? It's like they've, they've been healed and they've forgotten to thank me. Oh man, I don't want to live like that. There are some things I want to be forgetful about. But thanking God's not one of them. And it shouldn't be one of them. So when, when we look at this, and sometimes we can get into the Old Testament, we can think, oh man, Jeremiah was just about judgment. He was just about you know, God's wrath and, and the people are so sinful. And we forget that Jeremiah was pleading with the people to return to God because God was forgiving. That's his plea. And there's no sin that we, sh- we now know because he, this same God sent his son on the cross to die in our place. And there's no sin too gross for Christ's cross. We're in the chapter 14 and this is Jeremiah speaking to the people about wells. And we call this one well ashamed. You see, we all drink from a well. It just depends on which well we drink from. The problem is that the world's wells are dry. Which well are you drinking from? And if you're drinking from a well right now that's not satisfying you, is it a dry well? Are your wells dry? And Jeremiah called the people to return to the well of salvation, the well that God was offering. We then moved on and it was at an uncanny time when uh, something, um, I was actually maligned in the Hobart Mercury by a member of parliament. And two days later I had to preach this one, which I'd already prepared, and it was called You Can't Believe Everything that you read in newspapers. It's being slandered by the then media of the day. And the then media of the day were prophets and priests in the king's court. And Jeremiah is being slandered. And really, you can't believe everything that is being written in the newspapers. And God speaks to Jeremiah. And God is encouraging Jeremiah to be courageous. To be courageous. Don't, don't let their faces put you off. And to be a believer today, you need courage you need courage we we need to understand that when we when when scripture talks about you need you need to trust god and when you're battling doubt the the antidote to your doubt as i've heard some people say is look stop using your head just believe more just have more faith just just receive it by faith no the antidote to your doubt is the truth that's the antidote when you start to doubt is there a god go through the five evidences for god and you realize each one of them are true and one of them you're holding here well actually we call this number six the the word of god you have a letter written from god to you and you can go through the truth and so when we when we read jeremiah in these sections we realize that today we have a similar 
mandate. We, like Jeremiah, are to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. And today, heaven, hell is so like vague to people. Even Christians are sort of vague about this. You know, it's like, whatever, you trust Buddha, you trust Krishna, I trust Jesus. You know, I'm sure we'll all get there in the end. Don't lie to them. That's not true. God has provided the best way of salvation. And by definition, best means one. And it's his only son. And so, unlike Jeremiah, he couldn't offer them the terms of the new covenant. But we can. You don't have to be born a Jew to be made right with God. You have to be born again to be made right with God. And then we come to this section where Jeremiah begins to talk about, in response to the people saying, why hasn't it rained? Why are we so, why is the land so dry? And Jeremiah links their, their spirituality with the ecology, the environment. Isn't it bizarre that the world has gone after idols? It's gone after a deliberate ignoring of God's word and it's become, it worships the immoral and we're having all kinds of ecological environmental issues happening now. Doesn't anyone think this is curious? Jeremiah, he showed that there was a link and when we start off talking in this section about wells being dry, Jeremiah goes on and talks about God being refreshing, living water. And this is where your greatest need is water for your soul. It's that water that cleanses us. It's that water that nourishes and quenches our thirst. We then come into this section of Jeremiah in chapter 15, the first four verses, and we see this amazing concept that the way you live now will affect history. If you choose to follow Christ and give your life to Christ, you can leave a legacy for generations to come. Because everyone's life leaves a legacy for generations. It does. And by doing that, you can change history. It's just you're doing it ahead of time. The next section we saw in Jeremiah chapter 15 verses 5 to 9 is that sin pays wages and it was pay day. And here's a thought, and Jeremiah makes this thought pretty clear god only rejects those who reject him so if you're thinking well i tried to come to god but he rejected me well no it, that's just not true so um here's the question are you more likely to call upon god in good times or bad unfortunately for me it's bad sin will pay wages but God offers us grace and grace is forgiveness. We then come, we, we're finding in this section, Jeremiah is complaining and we come into another bout because we open up in chapter 12 where Jeremiah says, I have a complaint. And God says, fine, now prophesy this. And this goes on for a few chapters. And then Jeremiah says, can we just come back to my original conversation that I was having with you? And this is, again, he's complaining. And so lodging a complaint with God, It tells us this, that even good people, even God-loving people can get down at times. This is what we read in Jeremiah 15 verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So here's the question. How does God respond to complaining? Well, he actually... We saw when Jeremiah started complaining, 
in, instead of responding to the complaint, he just got him going again. Just do this, Jeremiah. And so God calls and enables us, those of us who are given to complaining, to be faithful rather than popular because we can complain that people don't like us. We can complain that people say all kinds of horrible things about us and God will call us to be faithful. So Jeremiah is being spoken to by God in a certain way that doesn't directly answer his question. And just when you think he's not going to complain anymore, God drops this on him. Oh yeah, and by the way, don't take a wife. This was a, well, an occasion for complaint again. So here's what Jeremiah had to discover. Serving God as a single is not a curse. Amen. Well, then you'll love this one. Serving God is more important than marrying. And for those that are married, let me rock your world. The goal of marriage is to know God better. It's so that you can know God better and serve God better. That's what marriage is all about. We read in chapter 16, verses 14 to 21, that God is the, the God of new hope and restoration. So in all this tragedy and drama and wrath that, that, that Jeremiah is telling the people of Jerusalem about, it's actually from a heart where God wants to save and redeem and restore people. And here's what we as believers in the new covenant should know. If you have Jesus, you have reasons for hope, despite how hopeless it looks. No matter what your debt is, your personal debt levels are right now, if you know Jesus, you've got hope. No matter what your health is like right now, you've got reason for hope. And no matter what your relationships are like right now, you have reason for hope. Because the new covenant is all about giving hope to the hopeless. And it's available to everyone. Please don't leave this place tonight without topping up your hope tanks. Jesus can give you hope. Jeremiah was then called to trust God. And in this next section, we see that God gives him five good reasons why he should be trusted. And when you do life without God, you miss the very things you're after. Because sometimes we don't trust God and we just go, look, I can get this quicker if I just do it this way without God. And by pursuing that, you actually miss the very things you think you're going to get. Jeremiah comes to what we would call the heart of the problem. And here's this classic verse in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So God knows your heart and he knows every thought of your mind. And one day you will stand before God and he will, judge, he will, he will examine your heart. And if you've, you've given your heart to him and he's given his heart to you the question is which heart will you stand with before god we saw that jeremiah is then he's ticked he's complaining now he's complaining to god about the people who won't listen to him and he starts praying what's called imprecatory prayers remember that what the hecatory is an imprecatory and an imprecatory is where you are praying your real heart anger your real heart angst to god and god's not authorizing it but the scripture accurately records it and we see this in the psalms all the time so jeremiah is now angry and so here's the question how do you spiritually process anger jeremiah had to learn how to do it the people were not resting and jeremiah calls the people to rest on the sabbath 
Because the Sabbath was not about just not working. The Sabbath was a picture of the cross. That when Christ died on the cross, it was absolute rest from works to make yourself right with God. And so the Sabbath was a big deal. Don't even carry anything on the Sabbath. We see in Jeremiah chapter 18, the potter's wheel, how God wants to shape us and mould us. And this is what Jeremiah is saying God wanted to do. And we are not like normal clay. We read there that we are living clay. We can yield or not yield. We see that Jeremiah also has reason to complain because he learns of a plot to assassinate him. So again, there are people wanting to execute him. He's got reason to complain. Jeremiah is saying something that is going to be so scandalous to the ears of the people. He says their ears will tingle if they realize what is ahead of them. And at this point, Jeremiah is going to speak right to the heart of their idolatry because one of the chief ways they were committing idolatry was to sacrifice newborn babies in a furnace. And so Jerusalem was sacrificing her children to the gods of prosperity. Now, we need to recognise that while that happens today in all kinds of circumstances, it's through Christ that we have hope. I hope you're hearing this today. Hope and healing. So Jeremiah is then called to take a flask and break it in front of the people. And that flask was a picture of what the people had done to God's heart. He then speaks to a prophet who's giving him a particularly hard time. His name was Pashur, and he renames Pashur Magor Mizabib. And Magor Mizabib is a terrible name. And if you're a Hebrew scholar, well, it is, but if you're a Hebrew scholar, you'll notice that I'm being really funny because the name Magor Mizabib means terror on every side. See, terror is a terrible name. Anyway, so Magor Mizabib is a terrible name, and we read that there. And, you know, a name defines your identity. And these people were trying to give Jeremiah a bad identity, but God gives us a different name. We are to do everything in the name of Christ. Jeremiah says, that's it, I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. And he walks away and then he turns around, he comes back to God, he says, I can't. Your word is in my body like fire in my bones. When I say I'm not going to speak, your word wells up in me and it comes out. I can't help but love you, God. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Complaints against God should be a private matter, we learn from this, because Jeremiah is transacting this in private. And one of the reasons Jeremiah's got so much to complain about is because they hated him. And because the world loves sin, it hates those who expose it. And we're nearly at the end of this section. Jeremiah was at one point so down, it was pretty close to depression. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 to 18. Listen to how down he was. Cursed be the day in which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. There's a guy who's really, really down. And at the point of being really, really down, God speaks to him and says this, go and prophesy to the king. And so the king asks him a question and the king is prophesied to. And Jeremiah says, if you will surrender to the king of Babylon, God will give you your life as a prize. And he says to the people I set before you today, life or death, do it God's way, even though they didn't like it because it meant surrendering to the king of Babylon or not. And he challenges the people. 
come out of the valley of smugness. He challenges the people to treat each other fairly, real social justice. He challenges the king to do what kings are supposed to do. He calls the king to promote some things. He calls the king to permit some things. And he calls the king to prohibit harmful things. And that's what governments should be doing today as well. He calls the king a divinely discarded signet ring. Someone who has, the ring has been taken off and thrown away. That's what God has done to you, O king of Jerusalem. Christ doesn't cast us away. Christ, as Karen said over communion, calls us to come. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden. And it's in the midst of Jeremiah complaining and he's now God's getting him going. He begins to get a glimpse of Jesus and he calls Jesus the righteous branch. He calls the prophets who are prophesying that everything will be okay. God will look after you. The prophets of poison. These people were telling the people what they wanted to hear. But Jeremiah says they were really just poisoning the people. These were prophets who did not profit the people. He then says that God is going to come and take a basket load of figs away. And, and what makes for a good fig was somebody who was faithful to God. We've seen that God calls us to allow him to captivate our heart. And finally, when we come to this understanding that God calls us to be faithful to him and he calls shepherds to bring people to faithfulness to him as well. This little word, if, changes everything. If, if you will listen to me. So as I bring this to a close, if you will open your heart to God, if you too can enjoy peace. We see that God was using Jeremiah to expose the people to things that were not good. And we saw last week, making people trust a lie. That God calls us as a church not to promote lies, but to expose them. And to be a church that prophetically appeals to people's hearts and consciences. And I want to just bring this to an end. We saw that Jeremiah is calling people to really know God and to do that through the word. This is my concluding comments. In Philippians 2.14, it says this, and you might want to write this one down and have a look at it over lunch. Do all things without complaining or grumbling. Secondly, the gospel calls us to serve not to wonder why we are not being served. And thirdly, the gospel, when you think about the gospel, it calls us to dwell on Christ. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 6, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. And as you remember Christ, all of a sudden it puts your complaining, my complaining, in a completely new light. Whether we think we have reason to complain or not, God's right there and he doesn't change, no matter what our circumstances are. More from Dr. Corbett next week with Bless Your City. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah's Complaint, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. 
For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Finding Truth Matters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.